We now want to welcome our radio audience, station KKVV 1060 on your AM dial, to the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church service. We are located at 1720 North J Street in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you would like to receive a copy of this service or any other service that you have seen or heard, you may write to us or, pardon me, you may email us at www.abundantlife.org. Also, you may write to us at our address, 1720 North J Street. The theme of our church this year is following Jesus at any rate in 2008. Our speaker of today is our senior pastor, Pastor Calvin Rock. After we have heard the scripture reading by Stacy McLee and another sacred selection by our mass choir, the next voice you will hear will be that of senior pastor Calvin Rock. Hear ye him. Happy Sabbath, church. Happy Sabbath. Today's scripture is found in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Again, it's Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I will read in your hearing. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. May the Lord add a rich blessing to the hearing of his word. Amen.
were sinking deep in saying far from the peaceful shore very very deeply staying within sinking to rise no more but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me now so safe am I cause it Nothing and nothing and nothing else. When nothing else could help. When nothing else could help. When nothing else could help. I was sinking fast and I think I was gonna last. And God reached down way in the pit of hell and picked me up. My pockets were empty, my heart was broken, and I just couldn't see a way out. My child was hungry, my heart was broken, and I just couldn't see a way out. today and don't they look good as well I want to compliment our musicians I want to thank all of our officers our ushers they look good too don't they serving us so well our deacons and deaconesses all of this goes to make for a happy and a wholesome program there were some who came in after our general welcome of visitors. All of those from Ottawa, Canada, would you raise your hand? Stand, we have a contingent from Canada. Welcome. Glad to have you. And my good friends, the Benjamins from Kansas Avenue, raise your hand for us. Elder Benjamin has been the first elder there many years, and we worked on some projects together. In fact, we're still working on a project. It's kind of slow, but we're working on it. About getting a conference started in the Pacific Union. We'll talk to him about that and you more too. But now let's bow our heads as we pray. Our Father in heaven, 
We thank you for the fact that love has engulfed us, love has surrounded us, love has empowered us, and love has lifted us. And as we open thy word today to study more about Jesus and his great love, open our minds and hearts and speak to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. As you know, many of you, most of you, one of my favorite themes, one of my favorite captions for the work of Christ is the theme that we have enjoined for the series that we're now entering. And that series is titled Something Better. Last week we talked about a better Adam. And today, as you might suspect, if you listen carefully to the scripture, our topic is a better Moses. And I'm going to challenge the young people, the, 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 the young people who are here, let's see, I'll say Pastor Lewars from age eight to age 12. And every time I say Moses, I want you to write it down, but don't let them see. I mean, just put a little tick. But don't let them see you, Mark, because I want you to be my official counter. And at the end of the service, I have something special in the office for all of my young folk who are here, all the children, 8 to 11. If you're in that age group, you listen carefully. Don't watch Pastor Lee Ward's pen, but listen yourself and you count. And if you count the right mentionings of Moses, I have something for you, something special. All right? Now. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, reminds us of just how important it is that we remember that Jesus is a better Moses. You remember verse 5, and Moses, Hebrews 3, 5, indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken afterward. But Christ, who is the second Moses, the better Moses, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm to the end. But remember that. We have to hold confidence firm unto the what, everybody? And that's the object, that's where we're headed with our message today. The study of Christ as our better Moses with the information and inspiration to help us to hold on to the end. Anybody here want to hold on? Anybody here today feel the need for strength to hold on? Well, this topic ought to help us get there. Now, what must be understood is that Moses fits the description of greatness in a number of ways. First of all, you remember he was the adopted son of Thesmusis, who was the son of Pharaoh. And he was great in Egypt and from age 12 when his mother, Jochebed, surrendered him over to Pharaoh's daughter for the next 28 years or until age 40, Moses was educated in Pharaoh, in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house, and he became a great scholar. Ellen White, in talking about Moses in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, says he was a high intellectual scholar. He was a military genius. He wasn't just a soldier. He was a military genius in leading the Egyptian armies in war. And he was a wise and, and effective administrator. As a leader later in Israel, he was given the greatest task ever placed in the hands of a human being. He was tasked to direct 
the exodus, the leading of over two million of God's people out of Egyptian slavery onto the land of Canaan. Moses was great. He was the greatest, you might say. Not Muhammad Ali, but I submit to you, Moses was the greatest. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Anybody here ever write a book? Yeah, not easy to write a book. Moses wrote five of them. And if you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's some technical historical details there that it took some intellectual genius to put together. Moses wrote five books, and I was surprised as I studied this week, thinking about this message, that the prophet says, Ellen White says, he also wrote the book of Job. I think I remembered after I read it that I had read that before. But he wrote the book of Job as well. He was a great man. In fact, Moses is mentioned in 32 of the 66 books of the Bible. That's, that's, may I say it? That's bad, isn't it? <laughs> All right. That's, that's tough. His name is in 32 of the 66 books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Micah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Hebrews, and Jude. His name is in all of those books. He stands, this man Moses, above all the other mighty people in the Bible. Even David and Solomon and Esther and John the Baptist and John the Revelator, none of them equals Moses as a prophet and historian and a poet and an author and a philosopher and a legislator and a general and a deliverer of God's people. But as great as Moses was, as much as he accomplished, he was but a sample, an example, a type of the greater prophet and general who was to come, the promised Messiah, the higher, holier, greater deliverer who had been promised, and that is Jesus Christ who I submit to you was and is a better Moses. Amen. He is a better Moses, first of all, because of the way he handled his identity. Now, both Moses, the first Moses, and Christ, the better Moses, had dual identity, dual citizenship. You remember how it happened with Moses, don't you? Look over in the book of Exodus. Turn now in Exodus. I know you have your Bible. If you're listening on the radio, turn with us. If you're here in the auditorium, I know you're ready. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of what tribe? Of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a what? And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Now, I often smile when I read that because I think every mother thinks her child is beautiful. <laughs> you ever hear about a mother having a child and say, he sure is ugly? <laughs> huh? I never heard that. All mothers, I don't care how, whatever, he's beautiful. And that, that's the way it ought to be. But she saw he was beautiful and hid him three months. And you know why she hid him? She hid him because the, the wicked pharaohs were trying to destroy all the boy babies. They didn't want male competition. So Moses' mother hid him, and the Bible says she was watching him, or infers she was watching him for three months, hid him in the bushes, on the, in the marsh, on the river bank, hid him and fed him and went down to see how he was doing. Now, 
Look at verse 4. And his sister stood afar off and knew what to be done with him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And you can see this princess coming down with her entourage. And she is now bathing in the water. And she hears some crying. And she looks over. And her maidens walked along the river. And they saw the ark among the reeds, uh, among the bushes there. And she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. Oh, there's something about women and babies. We had a little baby blessing in the office this morning and my wife held the baby and she reverted right on back to the olden days. When I, I just watched her. She, her face lit up, holding the baby, didn't want to let him go. Something about mothers and grandmothers and when, and when Thesmusis saw the child and beheld the baby, she wept because she knew that the child was there because of her father's evil. And she wept because she knew of all the babies who were being slaughtered. And she had compassion and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, and I like Miriam's quickness. She, she, she saw what was going on and she said, look, um, uh, would you like for me to get you a nurse? from among the Hebrew women, that she may nurse this child. And Pharaoh's daughter said, verse 8, go and, and you, you can do that. And you know the rest of the story, how that Jochebed was given the baby, her own child, that the Hebrew princess thought was a lost babe, and how she was able, the mother, to rear him for the first 12 years of his life. So Moses was Jewish by birth, Hebrew by birth, but because he was reared in the culture of Egypt, he was Egyptian by adoption. He was the grandson of Pharaoh, and he became a mighty man amongst the nations. And all that time he had to live with this dual identity, knowing that he was Hebrew and at the same time dressed and ate and functioned and studied and went to war and engaged in all of the culture of the Egyptians. And he was able to balance it very well. He did all right. And he knew that he was Jewish and he by birth, biologically, and he knew that God had appointed him, the Holy Ghost told him that he was appointed to be deliverer of God's people, and he was waiting for the time when he would lead the charge to free the Hebrew people. He handled it very well until. Verse 11, Exodus 2. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, went out amongst the Hebrews, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses lost it. He did a terrible thing. He killed the Egyptian, he hit him in the sand, and then he had to flee because he tried to stop two Hebrews from fighting. The next few verses tell us, and you know, uh, you got to be careful when you stop folk from fighting. A lot of times you try to break up a fight and they turn on you. And he saw these Hebrew folk fighting. And he said, why, why are you all doing that? You're both Hebrews. Why are you trying to beat up and kill each other? And one of them said, who, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did that Egyptian? <laughs> so Moses had to get out of town fast when he found out that the news was abroad. And he spent the next 40 years in the wilderness. And the next 40 years at the top of the most wanted list of Egypt. That's what happened to Moses and his dual identity. But Jesus, what about him? Jesus also had dual citizenship. We needed a savior who was a second Adam who would function with Adam's equipment on a human level 
to prove that Adam didn't have to sin. And we needed a God to come down and to forgive us for our sins because only one equal with the law could die for the law. So we needed a human and we needed a God and we needed them in one. And Jesus came all God and all human at the same time and he had to walk for 33 years in this dual identity and often as he walked among the human race and he saw us mistreating each other when he saw the abuses that one human being had for another our second Moses had to restrain himself often he wanted to to deliver before he had finished his appointed time. It was, Ellen White says, a severe trial for him to keep his godness covered with his humanity. Occasionally, a little bit of God would leak out. Occasionally, under special circumstances, when his, when his manhood, when his godliness, when his, when his piety, when his goodness was challenged, a little bit of God would leak out and would flash forth, but it would be withdrawn and he had no lasting effects, no, no lasting loss no lasting confusion of this identity. It happened on a number of occasions. Once it happened when he was cleansing the temple, you remember. It happened when he picked up the whip and said, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. A little bit of God flashed out and he almost lost it. He almost lost it, but they saw the flash and the power and they withdrew. And he never allowed his God self to do anything or to say anything that would invalidate or annul the ministry that he had. And because Jesus was able to hold these two identities in balance, because he never, like Moses, lost it and presumptuously ran ahead of himself, because he remembered that Daniel had said that at the end of 69 weeks, then the Messiah would go out to work. And in the middle of the 70th week, he'd be cut off. He stuck to his timetable. And he who came in the fullness of time finished his work in compliance with time, never allowing his God self Self to take over his human self and because of that control because of that discipline he is a better Moses and he is our better Moses because of the way his ministry began number two you remember how Moses ministry began don't you look at chapter 3 of the book of Exodus and let me refresh your memory. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. See, Moses got married out there in, in, in the wilderness. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So he looked and beheld the bush was burning with fire and the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So, verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God said to him from the midst of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. And verse 7, the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and verse 9, now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I also have seen them in verse 10. Come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh. 
Now, when Moses heard that, he got real scared. He got real scared. In fact, chapter 4, verse 1 reads, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared unto you. And chapter 3, verse 11 says, but Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh that I should bring the children out of Egypt? And verse 13, then the Lord, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say? So Moses had all kinds of excuses. Moses got his call and he had all kinds of excuses. I can't do it. Who am I? They're not going to listen to me. In fact, I have forgotten how to speak Egyptian. I don't even know how to speak the language anymore. Don't do this to me, God. You know I'm at the top of the list of the most wanted. Why me? And, and who am I going to say sent me? And they're not going to. But not so with our better Moses. Our better Moses, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, didn't have to be urged to come to function as our savior and deliverer. Our better Moses had a plan in place. 1 Peter 1.20 and Revelation 13.8 remind us that before the foundations of the earth were laid, God had a plan B in place. And as soon as there was sin, there was a savior. Our better Moses didn't have to be urged. He didn't have to be cajoled. Our plight was his push. Our pity was his pull. Our calamity was his call. And as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, he went into the Father. And three times, the prophet says, three times he pleaded with the Father to let him come. Three times he reminded the father of the deal they made before human beings were created. Three times he went in and it was only on the third time when he was asking that the father release him to come. That they shook hands on the deal and Jesus came not haltingly, not with reservations. He came not because he was urged. He didn't leave the wilderness. He left the posh beauty of glory with all of its majesty and power. Moses had to be pushed out of the wilderness, but Jesus gladly left the paradise above and put himself into time's biological machine and was compressed in Mary's womb to live in this cesspool of earth. He was a willing contributor to our deliverance and that is how he became our better Moses. But his betterness is seen in a third way. He is our better Moses because of the way that he has stood up for the people. Not that the first Moses didn't stand up for the people. He did. Several times when God was ready to wipe out the Israelites, Moses stood up and pled with God. And because of his pleading, God drew back his anger. Perhaps the most famous occasion for that is recorded in Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32 tells about the situation at Mount Sinai when Moses went up into the mountain and stayed for 40 days. And while he was up in the mountain, during that 40-day stay, the people got restless. Now, mind you, this was just a few months after they had left Egypt. This was just a few months after they had seen him divide the Red Sea, take his rod and divide the Red Sea. This was just a few months after they had been chased by that same Pharaoh and his army and Pharaoh and his chariots had been swallowed up. 
Pharaoh was in the army that got drowned. Just a few months and a few days or weeks before that, they had complained. Complained and said, Moses, we're tired of this manna already. Why? You know, we, we, want food. We, we wish we had some of the garlic and some of the chicken and fish we had back in Egypt. These preachers always trying to help me. They say I should tell you buffalo wings that we had back there in Egypt. You remember, and God had sent them quail till it ran out of their ears and noses. And now they're complaining again. Moses is in the mountain for 40 days. They don't see him. And so they say, who is God and where is God? And Moses, we don't see anybody here. Aaron, who was there, we don't see Moses. Where is he? He's been up there. And that, there's a cloud covering that mountain. And we don't know what's happening. We need to worship. And they fell back into the Egyptian idolatry. And they and their parents for 400 years had been in slavery. So now they regress back to that situation. They said, we got to worship something. And poor Aaron. Poor Aaron wouldn't stand up. God deliver us from leaders who won't stand up. Amen. Let me tell you something. I'd rather be respected than liked. Leaders are supposed to stand up for principle uncompromisingly and be fair in what they do. But poor Aaron gave in, and he said, all right, give me all your earrings. You know the story. And they took off all their earrings and took off all the rings that they had brought out of Egypt, all those, all that, that they had worn, and he put it into a smelting machine, and he made a golden calf, and they started dancing and worshiping the golden calf, and look at what happened. Over in Exodus now, chapter 3, and uh, chapter 32, and I want you to read beginning at verse 10. Now, therefore, well, let's, let's, begin, let's, let's read verse 6. Then they rose up early the next day and burned offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, get down. Now, remember, Moses in the mountain communing with God. God is writing the Ten Commandments. God is explaining the Ten Commandments. Thank you, thank you for that beautiful children's story today, Debbie. God is giving the Ten Commandments and God is telling him all the measurements of the sanctuary. And while he's up there talking and praying with God, they're down there losing their faith, worshiping this calf that they have made. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 7, Get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Have mercy. God wouldn't even own the rascals. He said, Moses, you get them, go down there, and these people you brought out. And mind you, a little before, he, God, had been telling him, what, you tell him, I am that I am. You know the story. Now he's laying it on Moses. God is, God's anger is burning. They have turned aside quickly one way of, out of the way which I commanded and made himself a molding calf and so forth. This is your God, O Israel, they were saying to that calf. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Remind me of some folk I know. Stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, God says. My wrath may burn hot against them, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you a great nation. God said, hey, Moses, we'll work this out. I'm going to do away with them, and we'll start all over again. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you another nation, Moses. I'm going to zap that whole group down there worshiping that idol. And then Moses, you and I will get us another group and I'll let you lead another flock. Then Moses, verse 11, pleaded with the Lord, his God saying, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? He put it right back on God, whom you have brought. Moses said, it wasn't me, Lord. Don't blame me. These are your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power. Why should the Egyptians, verse 12, speak and make fun of us and say they came out only for you to kill them? Remember, verse 13, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, and so on. And the Lord relented. The Lord said, all right. 
All right. Now, mind you, Moses still hadn't gotten down out the mountain. All this conversation was while he was coming down. Yeah. So finally, verse 15, and Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tables in his hand on which was written the, the Ten Commandments and so forth. And he and Joshua joined him as he got down a little lower. Joshua had followed him part way up the mountain and he'd gone the rest himself. Now Joshua joins him and they get on down. Verse 17, and when Joshua heard the noise, he said, it must be war down there. All that noise those folk are making. All that, all, all, all that noise. This is, this is a shout of victory. So when they came, verse 19, he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger became hot and he took the calf, which they had made, and you know the story, ground it to powder and mixed it with water and made them drink it. He was so angry and God was angry and Moses was also angry. And now, verse 23 they said to me, make us gods, Aaron says. This is why I did it. I did all this and I, I cast it in, verse 24. And when I put all that metal in the fire, out came this calf. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like us? Sound like us. He threw all that in there and out came the calf. <laughs> oh, I wish I had time to work on it. But go on. Then he said to me, thus said the Lord, verse 27, let every man pick up his sword and kill his brother and so forth. God said, now, you, Moses, you see what I'm talking about. Let me at them. Then Moses said to the, his priest, consecrate yourself. And it came to pass that Moses said, you have committed a great sin. And verse 31, and Moses returned to the Lord and said, all oh, this people, and here, this is what I want you to get. All oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made themselves a God of gold. Yet now, listen to this, talking about Moses pleading. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, please do so. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Moses pled for the people and he was so sympathetic and so loving and so compassionate and so anxious for their salvation that he said, Father, put the blame on me. God, if you can't forget, forgive them, just, just destroy me and, and let me take their punishment. And you go ahead, instead of starting a new nation, you let me die and let them live. Put the burden on me. Jesus is our better Moses. Because he also stood up to the people, for the people. When Adam and Eve sinned, he stood up with the father and said, Father, put the blame on me. He said, Father, let me be the sacrifice. He said, Father, I will go down. And when he came down, he suffered. And in the garden, he said, Father, the cup is too bitter. I can't drink anymore. But Father, if this is the only way we can save the human race, Father, put the blame on me. Take me, Father, and let them live. And Galatians 3.13 says he became a curse because all of our sins were poured on him. And God hates sin. And when he saw his son covered with sin, he treated him as sin. He became a curse for you and me. And he is still pleading for us in the courts of glory at the right hand of the Father. He is saying, Father, my blood for the forgiveness of their sins and my robe to cover them and to give them righteousness. Father, my blood and my robe, my blood and my robe. Father, put the burden on me. And because Jesus has pled so eloquently and so effectively for the human race, he qualifies to be our better Moses. Amen. Finally, he is our better Moses because of the circumstances of his death and resurrection. Notice that the first Moses died alone. In fact, both Moses died alone. Moses, number one, died alone on Mount Nebo. The original Moses was told by God in Deuteronomy chapter 32 when his work was done as the Israelites neared the gates of Canaan, God told Moses, 
go up into the mountain and die. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 4 and on. God gave to him a specific command. And I want to read it. Verse 49, Deuteronomy 32. Go up to this mountain of the Abram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab across from Jericho. View the land of Canaan, which I give the children of Israel for possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people. Now, how about that for an order? You go, Moses. Get up to the mountain, and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to let you die right there. And chapter 34, verse 5, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. So Moses died alone, the original Moses. But I also want you to know that while the first Moses died on Mount Nebo, the second Moses, the better Moses, also died alone on Mount Calvary. He died with people all gathered around, but until the last moment when he cried out, into thy hands I commit my spirit, they could not see him, for he was shrouded with a cloud. Matthew 27 tells of how darkness covered the earth, and from the sixth to the ninth hour, or from 12 o'clock noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they could not see what was going on in that cloud. The cloud that covered the cross hid the sufferings of the Son of God. Nature would not allow evil men to look upon the anguish and the tears and the pain of the Son of God as he gave his all for the human race. He died alone. Isaiah had prophesied he will tread the winepress alone. And after they had spent hours berating him and making fun of him, he was covered mercifully by God and nature, and he died alone. Yes, all alone. But that's not the only circumstance of his death and resurrection I want to mention. I want you to notice that Moses died a sinner. Now it is true that God told him in Deuteronomy 32, 51 and 52 that he could not go into Canaan because he had struck the rock twice. You remember? They wanted water and God told him to speak to the rock. But instead of speaking to the rock, Moses, who lost it when he killed the Egyptian, lost it again. And instead of speaking to the rock, he hit it. And he not only hit it once, but to make it worse, he hit it twice. If he hit it just once, he could have been symbolizing the fact that Jesus would die once. But in his madness and in his, in his anger and his frustration, he hit it twice. And because of that, he was prevented from going into the land of Canaan. He got them to the borders, but when they got there, God God said, now Moses, you go and die. You can't go in. You know, one of these days we're going to wake up and realize God means what he says. And if God says speak, you don't strike. For that mistake, Moses was prevented. But that isn't why Moses died. Moses died because he was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And like every other human being, he was a sinner. Jesus, the better Moses, didn't die because of his sin. He died because of our sins. He died because he said, put the blame on me. And that is why he is our better Moses. And then I want you to notice that when Moses was at the point of death, God gave him a panoramic view of all the history that was to come. Moses stood at the, on, on the banks of Canaan. 40 years now he'd been traveling. 40 years now he'd been traveling. And he's an old man, 120 or so, and he's there about to die. And God is now showing him all this land out there. 
He's showing him the beautiful Canaan with all of the beautiful grapes, arbors, and the budding trees, and the beautiful birds, and the, the cascading lands. Some of our friends who went to Alaska have been bragging about the glaciers they saw. <laughs> been bragging all week. Well, Canaan was even better than that, folks. Canaan, with all of his beauty, God showed him everything, and then he gave him a panoramic view of what would happen in the plan of salvation. He saw the 12 tribes scattered. He saw Jesus born and crucified. Moses looked ahead by envision, and he saw the second coming, and he saw the real Canaan when Jesus was coming again, and then he died. Jesus, our better Moses, when he died, did not die like that. In fact, Desire of Ages, page 752 says, when Jesus died, he couldn't even see beyond the grave. Hope did not present itself to Christ. He could not see himself coming forth from the grave as a conqueror. He feared that sin was so offensive to God that their separation was eternal. What a difference. Moses dying with a cheerful view and hope. Jesus dying for our sins with the enormity of transgression separating him from the Father, he died the death of the transgressor, not the victor. And he died the second death that you and I, who have to die the first time, won't have to die eternally. And because of that, he is our better Moses. Amen. And he is a better Moses because he had a hard life and like the first Moses, he died on a mountain after his work was done. But the first Moses, according to Deuteronomy 34, 7, when he died, his eyes were not dimmed. He didn't even need eyeglasses. He was 120 years old and could read without glasses. Didn't have them back there anyway. But the Bible says his eyes were not dimmed and his natural strength was not abated. He was as strong a man as he was as 120 as he was when he was in his 40s and 50s. He was all man still when he died. But our better Moses, he also had a hard life. But when he died, he did not die with all of his body parts in place. He died battered and bruised and bleeding. And the first Moses was buried by angels. The second Moses was buried by Joseph and Nicodemus and John. Joseph and Nicodemus who refused to own him openly when he was living, when they saw him die, went and got permission to take his body down. And Joseph saw that he was put in a tomb he prepared for himself. And Nicodemus threw in his money and they helped to fix things up so he could have a decent burial. And the women came and joined them. God bless the Marys. And God bless the Marys in the church today. The women came and joined them. And Ellen White in writing about it says, they straightened out his mangled arms and laid and folded his hands, his bruised and bleeding blood clotted hands upon his pulseless chest. And they laid his body in the ground. And when they did, he rested, and on time, he had said, destroy this temple, three days I would bring it up, and on time, he rose. And here is my final comparison. He is our better Moses because of all these matters, and he is our better Moses in conclusion because of the way he was resurrected. Now, you remember how the first Moses was resurrected? That little book of Jude, the ninth verse says, Yet Michael, the archangel, that's Jesus, contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Jude is telling us 
that when Moses had been in the grave a short time, before his body was even uh, turned to dust, before putrefaction and corruption set in, Michael, who was Jesus, came to get Moses and to resurrect him. And when he came to get Jesus, when, he, when Moses came, the second Moses came to get the first Moses, the devil saw what was happening and he protested. And the devil said, you can't have him. I got Adam and I got Abraham and I got Isaac and I got Jacob. Now I got the biggest one of all. I got Moses. I got him. He's in the grave. He's in my territory and you can't have him. You said dust to dust and ashes to ashes. That's what you said when you cursed Adam and Eve in the garden. Now you can't have him. Bible says that Michael said he, he didn't argue with him. He didn't revile. He didn't debate. All he said was, Satan, you better get out of the way. Get out of the way, Satan. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm about to bring him up. And the devil said, but you can't have him. You promised. And, and Michael doesn't debate. Ellen White says, he could have told him that he was the one that told the first lie about thou shalt not surely die. He could have read his pedigree about his fall from heaven. He could have read his title clear. He could have, he could have slaughtered him if he wanted, but he didn't even argue with the devil. He just said, get back, Satan, and don't stand in my way. And he raised his servant Moses up and took him back to glory and his next appearance was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah and Enoch when they wanted to build tabernacle and that's where the great Moses is now. But I want to tell you that the resurrection of Jesus was even more glorious than that. I want to tell you that he is our better Moses because he did not rise from the grave because of some exterior voice that said get up Jesus got up because of life that was in himself. Youth instructor, August 4, 1898, Jesus came forth from the grave to life that was in himself. Humanity died. Divinity did not die. Testimonies, Volume 3, 203, all that comprised the life and intelligence of Jesus remained with his body in the sepulcher. And when he came forth, it was his whole being. He did not have to summon his spirit from heaven. He didn't need the angel to say, get up, because in that sleeping body was life. And even though it wasn't activated while he was resting, the potential of life was there. The same God who spake and it was done. The same God who breathed the breath of life into Adam, the first Adam. The same God was simply resting. He had said that death is but a sleep. My friend Lazarus sleepeth. And now... Right on time, he who had lived the perfect life and died the perfect death, the better Moses, he who set the time clock for resurrection early that Sunday morning, right on time, something happened in the grave before his body could rot, before the heat and the stench could putrefy his form. A better Moses awakened. There was a nerve that twitched in his brain. I think that's where it must have started. And when that nerve twitched in his brain, it connected with his heart. And his heart began to beat. And as his heart began to beat, the pump began to activate the blood that had laid still for those hours in the tomb. And the blood began to run from one artery to the other and through the valves and the veins and on into the body as it streamed, profusing and feeding and energizing his legs and his feet and his eyes and his hands. And Jesus wakened. 
on his own power. And because he didn't have to be called up, because he himself could get up, because he who had lived a perfect life was now being rewarded by God with a perfect resurrection, I tell you, he is our better Moses. And as our better Moses, he was found faithful. My question to you, young people, fathers, mothers, whoever you are, will you be faithful? This is a question for Las Vegas, for you and for me. Will we be found faithful? Faithful this week. The Lord is looking for some faithful young people. The Lord is looking for some faithful girls and boys who won't bow down to the gods of, of, of sex and, and drugs and, and the foolishness that the world orders. And what I want to call for in the appeal today is for those who will be found faithful as was the first Moses, not a perfect fellow, but he was faithful. That's why he was resurrected. But the more faithful second Moses, the better Moses. Is anybody here who's determined to be yourself found faithful? I'm talking about those who refuse to let go, who will not fizzle out or knuckle under or play around or back up or break down or, or slack off or turn back or roll over or go astray or drift away or fall apart or pull aside or mince along or stumble about or wander between, but you'll be faithful. You're willing to stand up and be counted. You're willing to stand alone. If nobody else believes it, you're willing to stand alone and say, I'll stand with my better Moses. I will carry on. I will pull through. I will hold fast. If God will give me strength as I read and study and pray, I'm going to make it. Some of you are going to be baptized next week. I want you to come on down with me right now. All of you in the baptism, come on down. I want you first, and I want you to pledge as you come down saying, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to stand up here next week and say, I do, and I plan to be faithful. Come on down. Come on down. You are being baptized. You come on down. I plan to be faithful. I'm not going to let the devil turn me around. I'm going to go through. I'm going to be faithful. My Lord was faithful for me. I'm going to be faithful for him. Give him a good hearty amen, won't you? These are getting ready. My next appeal is to the young people of this church. You know, let me tell you something. You and I didn't have to go through what these young people are going through. You, don't, you didn't have a computer. And you still don't know what to do with one, most of us. You don't know how to get into all the junk that's out there. Young people, we realize that you're going through things some of us never thought the world would offer. I'm wondering if I have any young men who say, oh, by the grace of God, I want to be pure. I want to come out of this pure. Any young ladies that say, I want to be pure. Any young people want to say, Lord, forgive me. I want to stand for you. Would you stand to your feet right where you are? Any young people, any of my youth, any of my children, my boys, my girls, my teenagers, God bless you. Fathers and mothers, what about you? We need courage. We need wisdom to inspire the others. Would you just like to stand and say, God, help me to be a good parent. Help me to be a good guide and advisor. Father in heaven, the first Moses was found faithful but had to die. The second Moses was found faithful, had to die, but they were both resurrected. One to life eternal on his own and the other to life that is now given to us. We thank you for that sacrifice. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if there's somebody else who wants to get in on this baptism thing, you want to join the church, you may raise your hand right where you are and say, yes, I used to be an Adventist. I want to come back. Or I've never been a commandment keeper, but I'm glad to know about it and I want to learn more so I can be a member. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Come on down, sweetheart. I see your hand. Come on, come on, come on. Who else? Who else? God bless you. Come on down. Just want to keep you, get you in on the last part of this prayer. You're finding out, you're learning about God's way, God's will. Father, thank you for Jesus. The better Moses, the better Adam, the something better. 
Help us to keep the word as a good seed and good soil that we might live it out and be faithful, to be found faithful no matter what others do. We ask in Jesus' name that all the people say, Amen. Amen. Shall we be seated? Thank you. Sit right down there for me. Okay, I got your names. Thank you. She's on the food program. Okay. Let us stand for the benediction. We will not keep you. Except to say, if you will be so kind as to look at your zip code designation and meet with your elders for just a few moments, quick prayer and a confirmation of your zone prayer meeting next month. I'm going to ask Pastor Bannon if he will go to the second room and take my place with the first group. And I'm going to ask that all of you who are preparing for baptism will meet with me in the conference room. And the children who took down a little count with Pastor Bannon, you come to the pastor's study and we'll talk to you there. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we are so thank you, thankful for your word. We thank you for the word that has been delivered here this day. Our hearts burn, Father, out of the thing that was going on. But at the end, it was resurrected to life. Father, now as we leave this place, we pray that you would contend with us. Father, we ask you now, Lord, if we go to our designated areas for our zip code recipients, members. And Father, we pray also that you would bless their food that has been prepared here this day for our visitors, seniors, and friends. That you would bless it, that it be a nourishment for our bodies. In the precious name of Jesus, Lord, we pray. Amen. We will not dismiss as usual. Please, please, please go to your areas for just a few minutes. Elders, will you take your places now? Elders, will you take your places? You see where you're designated. Visitors, you may stay for the quick 